Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? What is the latest and greatest? How's everybody doing out there? Hope everybody's well, having a solid, if not spectacular week, and here to deliver another podcast with a very special guest. You're going to listen to it all here on the latest edition of the J Reels Podcast. I am your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been with me for now, 140 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It's a Thursday, June the 25th in the year of our Lord, 2020. The J Reels What's the Deal segment? On tap, Monica McNutt of MSG Network and MSG 150. You can also see her on the ACC Network as well as Fox Sports 1 covering college basketball in the fall and the winter. She hosts MSG 150 with the guys Alan Hahn, Bill Pito, and John Wallace. Their little roundtable, or in this case, Zoom table, considering that we're still being held hostage here by the coronavirus pandemic. This was a fun, entertaining, engaging Conversation that I had with her, ranging from various topics, her broadcasting journey to where she is now, the highs and lows, some of the peaks and valleys that she's experienced so far to this point. We also get into race in America and the current climate of everything that's been going on here so far, not only just 2020, but even beyond that. We also get into her college basketball career at Georgetown, which I found very fascinating. We also get into the NBA, the bubble that's going to take place in Orlando. We get her take on that. A bunch of other things. She's just a incredible spirit. Fun, outgoing, easy to talk to. She's all that and then some. And it's packaged right here over the course of the next 55 minutes to an hour. So I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did recording it with Monica. I'll also spend a couple of minutes talking about baseball as it's going to make its return. The players will report July 1st. Set the schedule hopefully for July 24th. Since that took place a couple days ago. So be sure to stay tuned for that. But first, my conversation with Monica McNutt, MSG Network, MSG 150, the ACC Network, Fox Sports 1, and all that. I hope you enjoy this conversation, and I will see you on the other side. All right, on the line, you could find her on MSG Network, as well as the ACC Network, and when college basketball is in session, you can see her on FS1, and also has a podcast called Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. And that would be Monica McNutt as she joins me here on the J Rose Podcast. Monica, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me, Jason. I'm super excited um, to chat with you today. I really appreciate you inviting me on. Oh, please. My pleasure. And uh, yeah, we'll have some fun here. So uh, before we talk about your broadcasting journey, uh, discuss your upbringing a little bit. Your love for sports. Uh, was it instilled early on from maybe your parents or another relative? Did you discover it on your own? Uh, what was it like uh, just growing up in a household where sports, I guess, became a focus and part of your life to where it led to you, where not only you played in college, basketball, which we'll get to, but also your broadcasting career as well. So my dad was a referee all of my life. He was a referee before I was born. Um, he's only recently sort of slowed down on the refereeing front. 
in the past couple of years, and I'm 30. So, oh. um, sports was definitely a part of my upbringing. In fact, that's sort of my love story with basketball, tagging along with my dad to gyms, mm. and then eventually saying to him, hey, daddy, I want to do this, and I want to be good at it. And so he was my first trainer. Um, he's the person that I spent the most time with crafting or working on my crafts and really honing my skill set. And I just, I loved it. Sports was a space where I got to be competitive, sweaty, aggressive, all of those things that are sort of unladylike, like sports was the place where you could do it all and it was celebrated. Absolutely. So, of course, with him being an official and with basketball, was that uh, obviously your first love or were there any other sports that you gravitated to along your journey as a young girl and into a teenager? So, ironically, I actually played tennis first. Oh. That was something that I did with my dad. Oh, nice. Mom, we tried track and field. Uh, how did that go? <laughs> but it was, yeah, mm, it just kind of came and went. Let's just go with oh, that. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it was ultimately, though, basketball that had a sustaining love. Um, and so I'm super glad that. Oh, of course. And then now, I've, as I was doing my research, you had played at Georgetown. But at the same time, uh, when I saw that you had played at Georgetown, right away my antenna went up and I said to myself, oh, geez, I can only imagine what that was like just being a part of that and not only that, but also getting into Georgetown. If you could kind of walk me through what that was like going into Georgetown and then, of course, playing on the basketball team to be a part of that. So getting into Georgetown was not the typical route of admissions for the average student because obviously I was an athlete. So for Mm -hmm. me... It was a lot about the recruiting process. Uh-huh. Uh, and at the time, I... Hold on one second, Jason. I'm going to switch to my headphones. You got no, me? Yeah, I got you. Okay, cool. I, I remember at the time, saying to my parents, I wanted to go and be a part of a program, a basketball program that was on the cusp, somewhere where my name could be attached to the success as opposed to trying to latch on at the back of the roster at a UConn or a Maryland at the time that just won a national championship. Mm-hmm. And so Georgetown recruited me. And on my official visit, I met Big John. They, I, I, met, I sat down with Big John one-on-one. Wow. And I was so blown away. My dad had been a longtime Georgetown fan. And so that culture was sort of permeated through our house. When you look at what Georgetown represented in terms of black America and the cool factor and Al mm-hmm. Iverson and Patrick Ewing and so on and so forth. So That's I right. was just sort of swept off of my feet. So really, <laughs> like, I probably made it too easy for Georgetown in terms of the recruiting process. I committed as a junior. Mm-hmm. Um so wow. as I was going and retroactively filling out applications and admissions, I, I knew I was in. And so that part wasn't very stressful. But um, I loved it. The basketball part, I got exactly what I wanted. We were a team that was sort was not renowned at that point in the Big East. We hadn't been to an NCAA tournament in something like 18 years. And then my sophomore year, or excuse, my junior year, excuse me, mm-hmm. we made our way back. And so I was a part of bringing that team into a top 25 ranking, into a Sweet 16, um, and really – Raising the profile. So I was super proud of my run at Georgetown. As you should. Oh, and that's uh, fantastic. Now, my thing, we're going back to your broadcasting journey, or let's say let's start from there. Uh, what was the moment that, uh, I guess, the bright light went on where you figured that this was going to be the path you were going to take? Was it something that happened maybe during the time you were a teenager? Was it something that maybe during college you figured, hey, I'm going to take up communications upon? At what point was it that you knew that this was the path that you wanted to take and hopefully get to where you are today? My senior year, I interned at NBC4 Washington in D.C. So that's the NBC affiliate before here in D.C. And I worked with Lindsay Zarnia. So I interned under Hakeem Dermott, Lindsay Zarnia, and Dan Helley, all who have gone on to do dope things in the national space mm-hmm. um, and are still working in the industry in different capacities now. 
And I was so fascinated with the process of covering sports. I got to tag along and shadow them at the Redskins event, at Wizards events. That was my first Washington Capitals experience. Mm. And I knew that I wanted to stay connected to sports because it had been a fab- part of the fabric of my being for so long. Right. But I knew I was done playing. The goal had been accomplished, go to school for free. I didn't necessarily want to go overseas and play or pursue the WNBA because I felt like if I was overseas, there was no way that I, no way that I would remain relevant trying to get into the sports bar world. I didn't want to come back to the States at 27, starting from square one. Right. So um, that's kind of how that happened. And I was at a Washington Post event where I was honored as a distinguished All-Met, having been an All-Met selection in high school the four years after college as I was graduating. I was a distinguished All-Met, and I'm sitting at the table at this banquet. And I basically said to the table at the time, LeVar Arrington was sitting at my table, mm-hmm. a man named George Solomon, who had been the ombudsman at ESPN and was launching the new sports journalism program at the University of Maryland, was sitting at my table, and a few other local sports talent. And I basically said to the table, like, hey, I'm trying to figure out what's next. If you guys have any tips or advice for me, I'd love to hear it. And so George Solomon, who was sitting next to me, said, hey, why don't you come and check out our new graduate program at the University of Maryland? I think it would be a great fit for you. Mm. That's the beginning of the story. Check out the program, apply to the program, get accepted to the program. I'm a fellow in the program, so it cost me like eight grand to get my graduate degree. So appreciative of the program because it allowed me to equip myself to be a journalist and not just a basketball analyst. Mm. Um, and that sort of was where my career jumped off. No, that's incredible to think that right at that table with all those, obviously, LeVar Arrington, who was a number one pick going back to the, I believe it was 2000, if I'm not mistaken. And then you have the ombudsman there that you mentioned from ESPN to pretty much put you in the direction of the path to where you are today. I, Jeez, I can't even imagine what that must have been like at the time. And then, of course, the subsequent moments after that to kind of lead you to where you are today. That must have been thrilling. It was some, certainly some fortuitous bounces, Jason. But yeah. I think the part that I am most convicted if that's the right word about making sure that I share with young journalists that are coming behind me mm-hmm. is that it doesn't always bounce your way and right. this industry requires some intestinal fortitude because it's competitive it's saturated it's demanding and there, there can be lows you know what I'm saying there are lows when you're chasing something that's driven by passion there's not a ton of money in it in the beginning and right. so when I talk to my the young ladies that I mentor, even young fellas, when they want to reach out to me, I'm like, no, listen, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I understand what it is to grow 22 grand in a year. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. <laughs> you know, for real. Like, I get it. Been there, done that. And so I have found that if you remain true to the grind with integrity and diligence, you'll work your way through. But there are some points that are uncomfortable, but they're beautiful in the journey. It's a part of the journey. That's right. And it's interesting because just in that answer right there, you pretty much answered three other questions that I had lined up. So I'm going to ask them in a different way, hopefully, and see if it, uh, <laughs> if, if it comes through. But uh, speaking about that journey, I know you talk about those high points and low points. And I would think that just sitting in that table prior to the start of your career, that certainly would be, you know, would rank up there. But is there a particular low point up until this point in your career where you had to look back and say, geez, am I really... I'm sure you thought for yourself that you're really cut out for this, but considering the competitiveness of the industry and everything that encompasses it that you just explained, was there a low point that made you really question or doubt whether or not that you could move forward with your career? A hundred percent, Jason, and I am not that far removed from my low point, quite honestly. Oh, is that right? Um, Wow. I was laid off twice in the span of three years. In 2015, I got laid off, and then in 2017, I got laid off again. Mm. Wow. And the 2017 layoff, 
again, mine was this, three years ago. I would yeah. say how young and naive I was, but it wasn't that long ago. Right. I had, I was confident because I had been through a layoff and I had bounced back with no drama, right? Mm. I got officially laid off in 2015 in like March. I had an offer floating around by April, signed the deal for my next job in May, right? So mm. I remember took my severance package, went to Vegas with my cousin, like no sweat off my back. The next thing came. And so I was riding this high of confidence. And so when the second layoff came, I wanted to get out of Florida anyway. That wasn't my scene. I'll just go back to D.C. for a few months until my next job comes. It didn't happen that way for me, Jason. Mm -hmm. I went back to D.C. I had some family challenges that consumed so much of my time. And so for me, in the grand scheme of things, faith is a part of my picture. I was like, okay, well, it makes sense that I'm here with nothing to do because my family needs me. Like, okay, I see you, God. Like, okay, it makes sense. But then when it felt like that season was turning over, and the job front wasn't turning over, I sort of had an identity crisis because I had attached my value so closely to what I did as a profession Mm. um, that I really struggled, Jason. Like, I struggled. I fell back on what I knew to be true as an athlete where you put in the work, you practice the shot, the game comes, you get the shot, you might miss it, but it's going to come back, right? Right. And that's not how this industry works. It is subjective. It is about timing. It is about connections. And so I remember, you know, as I'm teaching a substitute teacher here in D.C., like as I'm trying to piece it together, like watching my budget, <laughs> bill collectors calling, like I ain't got it. I promise when I get it, I'll get you, but I don't have it right now. Right. Um, I remember saying to myself, am I going to be able to do this in a sustainable way or will this just be something that I do on the side because I love it and I'm going to go take this English job because I got degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, stay with it. While I was substitute teaching, my first break in terms of things turning over and getting to where I am now was FS1. I got a women's basketball package with them doing doing Big East games. Then I worked with Overtime on a project that they did with MSG Networks. Hmm. Literally, I want to say less than a month later, I was wow. following up with MSG because that's part of the game. I shot an email. Hey, guys, you know, really enjoyed the project with you. Just want to just let you know that if anything comes up, I'm available and interested. You know, part of the game is that making sure people know that you're capable. Literally, response less than two minutes later, your ears must have been itching. We were just thinking about you. Wow. And so that's how the MSG 150 came to be. Um, and so then things have just kind of continued to build on from that. But Jason, when I moved in my career, the thing I hope that people are left with when they talk to me is that I was prepared, that I had a blast and brought a ton of energy and that I'm tremendously grateful. And that shows through because all of this was taken from me. And so mm-hmm. as I move now, it is not lost on me. The amount of time, work, energy, the people who have been allies and supporters and sponsors to help me get where I'm at. And that's important. As we all know, the circle around you, whether it's one person, five people, not that you need 10, 20 or 30, but whomever is around you in that circle is so important to get to where you want to go because we certainly know that yes men or yes people aren't going to cut it in the long run. And sometimes mm-hmm. with that faith that you have in order to prosper, in order to, to get to that next level, and it's not even just from a mental standpoint. It's emotional, psychological, spiritual. Listen, not to say I'm well-versed on that, but I've learned enough in my life to know that whatever energy and whatever karma you put out there, the universe will reward you. And in this case, the perseverance and all of that, you, what you just mentioned, certainly paid off. Indeed. And yes. I'm, I'm super proud of it. I mean, even... You know how people ask you, like, would you change anything? I wouldn't even go back and change the seasons on which I was broke because I think it taught me. It yes. taught you, like, for real, when you get this money, this is actually what you need to function, and this is what you was trying to do by keeping up with the Joneses. You right. know what I mean? So it just brings you so much perspective. No, without question. Now, talking about competition, I know this industry, obviously you've experienced it. 
It's uh, super tough. But my thing to you is, I'm sure you bring a lot to the table just based on what I saw a couple of times there watching you on MSC Network 150 with the guys, Alan Hahn, John Wallace, Bill Pito, et cetera, that there is a ton of energy that you bring. But for someone who hasn't seen you or maybe are just getting their first glimpse at you, why should we watch Monica McNutt and compared to everybody else that's out there, whether male, female, doesn't matter, why should somebody take a chance, not necessarily take a chance that strong, but why should somebody watch Monica McNutt moving forward? Oh, man, Jason, with the hard hitters. (laughs) I try. Um, So I would say someone should watch me because the diversity in voices matter. True. And that's, you know, that's part of that answer, quite honestly, is a response to all that's happening right now in our climate in this country. Mm -hmm. But I also, I do my best to have people think. I do my best to have fun. Um, There are moments in which sports intersect with bigger issues. But for the most part, we're talking about games. And so I try to bring a perspective that is fun, fresh, light. And you will walk away having learned something or at least considering something differently than you may have originally. Right. Um, I'm not afraid to be a little bit contrarian. Not that it's a force and that it's insincere, but the way I thought about it is the way I thought about it. And I think you should think about it this way and I'm going to explain why. Mm -hmm. No, I I totally agree. And the thing is that nobody wants to hear bland vanilla responses. At the same time, nobody wants to hear you over the top, jumping on on a table, going crazy just to try to get your point across. But at the same time, there is a way to, and to me, that's the whole point about this business. You want to be able to get your opinions to get your analysis through to whomever it is you're trying to reach. And whether that, that means that more people are going to dislike you than like you, chances are the people that dislike you will probably tune in to hear what you have to say as opposed to the people that are really in your corner that like you. Because when that's when you know you got them. When you have the someone someone that's going to look at, oh, please, Monica, what you're saying is off the chain, it's off the cuff, but I, I don't like it. But then here they are the next day, either on your social media feed or let's say watching you on TV, they're back there the next day wanting to know what you got to say because obviously what you say certainly carries a lot of weight. A hundred percent. And I think we get upset about haters, but haters just mean that you've arrived. So That's I right. Something else to say. <laughs> Absolutely. No, without question. All right. So now uh, you get to MSC Network uh, and you're working with the guys I just mentioned before. Uh, was there any pressure at first? And I'm sure that may have been the same where whether you're at the ACC Network or even with Fox Sports 1, but now that you're got to MSG and you're able to work with your contemporaries at first, what was the feeling like going in knowing that Bill Pito was formerly an ESPN and Alan Hahn, of course, had been a staple there at MSG Network? And I just recently saw that John Wallace was a part of the MSG Network family as an analyst. What was that like stepping into the building to go battle wits or even battle opinions with those guys? Jason, it's crazy because... By nature, I'm pretty confident. Shout out to my parents for mm-hmm. raising me, and right. instilling me, instilling that in me. Shout out to sports for yes. helping me be comfortable competing. So it didn't really dawn on me, even down to being in New York, right, the number one market. None right. of those things really dawned on me because I love this quote from Jalen Rose, or I don't know if it's his originally, but he was the first person that I heard say it. Uh-huh. Success happens when preparation meets opportunity. Mm. And so I felt like I was prepared. Like, let's go. We talking about sports. Now, granted, I'm not about to get into a full-on debate with you on NHL and MLB because I'm going to stay in my wheelhouse. But if you want to get into this football conversation, this basketball conversation, come on, let's bring it. And so, first of all, those guys are all amazing. Yeah. Secondly, I move 
I don't know who listens to your pod, Jason, but I'm going to say it anyway. Go ahead. I move. I have to move with the arrogance of a mediocre white man. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. White men in this country apply to jobs that they are not qualified for, whatever. They walk around with a sense of entitlement. Yep. And so in my head, something has switched instead of looking at myself as a black woman in a negative way to being empowered in that. Like, I belong in these spaces. I belong at this table. I make this table better. And here's why. Let me show you. Mm-hmm. And that's excellent. And I feel the same way because uh, I'm 51 years old. And I'm sure if you know the theory, Malcolm Gladwell, he has a book called Outliers. Yep, where, yes, of course. Yeah, obviously, if you invest 10,000 uh, 10, hours into something, that's when you master something. Well, considering all the games, as much as I've read, even this, as I've, got, I've had my podcast for two years, but I've also worked on AM radio, I've worked on uh, online radio, I have community center, all that. I think I have that maybe times three. So despite the fact that there are people who have played in games and certainly have a lot of experience in front of a camera and in front of a mic, whatever, but I know that what I bring to the table is just as much, if not even more than what they have because of based on everything that I've experienced and all the knowledge that I've gained throughout the whole year, you know, throughout all these years. So obviously by you saying that, that certainly empowers me because it's one of those things where it's like, hey, I can hang with you guys. So you know what? Let's just let it roll and let's see where we could go with this with the conversation or whatever it is that uh, may be. Agree. I think if you if you put in the work, you bring a perspective. Now, you or I are not Bill Peter or Alan Hans. Hans got books. He's been a beat reporter for years. He's on the radio. But that's fine. Right. Just, the, the point of a conversation is not to bring two identical people. No. Right? It's to offer different perspectives. And so I think as long as, like I always like to say, if you've been true to the game and are moving with diligence and integrity, that's right. then bring it. Let's go. Uh-huh. I totally agree. Now, what are your thoughts considering, and I destroyed MSG and I destroyed... James Dolan, of course, it's easy for me to do that because I'm an independent and, of course, a low man on the podcast totem pole. But at the same time, with the, the statement that was released last week after not releasing a statement in reference to everything that's going on in this country. And I, listen, if you could speak upon it, that's fine. I understand if you cannot. But uh, I was certainly appalled and maybe I could even say it for you. But uh, any thoughts about uh, them taking eight days to respond in light of everything that's going on in this country? And then the response to me was just very tame, very bland and certainly did not get its point across. So my team missed the mark in that regard, Jason. And I think um, what I want folks to know is that while James Dolan is the head of our company, he doesn't necessarily reflect the people within the company. Right. Right. Um, But on one level, while I would have loved to see more, on the one hand, I also respect it, Jason, because Mm. I think it's easy to put out a statement that'll get folks fired up. Right. It's not as easy to show a flaw in your thought process. And it's certainly not as easy to back up the statement that got folks all fired up when they look at your decision makers in your company. Is there room for us to be better at MSG? When I say us, MSG networks, our whole operation. Sure. Mm -hmm. But I think this can be a starting point. This is how you miss the mark. This is how you can improve it. And I don't want to point out, um, Bill's and Scott Perry as tokens, but to have those black men um, in positions that matter within the Knicks organization, I would rather those opportunities for people of color than a statement that is empty. You know what I mean? Oh, I agree with you, yes. None of it was perfect. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to excuse the big boss. None of it was perfect. But I think as a community, New Yorkers, MSG, as a society, all of the United States of America across the globe, Sometimes we have to allow one another to miss the, miss the mark and then work needs to be done 
to do better by one another and better for one another. No, listen, that was uh, well articulated because how I looked at it was is that if you miss the market the first eight days and then you're going to come out with something, and I guess on both folds, better late than never and better something than nothing. But it, it, to me, it, it just struck me the wrong way considering that all the other leagues have put out statements or even have donated money, I'm sure maybe even to a certain extent, uh, certain players or certain people in the company have maybe took their stance on everything that's going on in this country. And I just thought that they were just a little bit too late in the game for me. And not that I'm judge, jury, or an executioner when it comes to that, but when you see all the other leagues or all the other teams go forthright or go ahead and make sure that they not only put the statement out, but certainly stand behind it, it just didn't sit well with me. But I definitely hear where you're coming from because at the same time, right, you'd rather have them try to get it right even if they were late to the game. So I totally agree with you there. Now, as far as uh, now to just to transfer into what's happening here in this country now, considering Minneapolis and then just this, this past Saturday, the unfortunate uh, situation there down in Atlanta, and that's not to minimize everything before that. Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, I understand that wasn't police brutality, but the zillions, unfortunate zillions of cases that have uh, transpired throughout uh, this nation's history. I just want to know, as far as this being the watershed moment that this country is finally seems to come across, do you think that this is it? And if so, what measures do you think need to be need to take place in order for change to happen sooner than later? Jason, I don't know. I don't know if this is it. Mm, I'd like interesting. To believe, I'd like to believe that this time the United States is hearing black America. But I also am fully aware that this time is extremely unique because you almost don't have a choice. COVID has shut down all of our lives as we knew them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's such a divide in our nation because of who's in the White House that people wanted to draw a line in the sand. However, this is a moment in time. And while I'm proud of some of the conversations that I've had, Jason, Mm -hmm. I also have walked away from those conversations in awe because white people really don't get it. Right. So I like to believe that we move this forward. But the question is, how do we move this forward? I am going to be black all my life, like till the day I die. That's right. So I move it forward by continuing to operate in spaces where I may not necessarily have been invited to excel, to diffuse stereotypes and move about it that way. Mm-hmm. But I need my white folks, my counterparts who make up America to be just as mad and uncomfortable when they see this in six months or just as mad or uncomfortable when they look around their office and realize that everybody in that joint is vanilla and there is no true representation of diversity or just as mad when they see um, something happening on their kid's college campus, whether their kid is black or white, but something that is an injustice. Do you know what I mean? So oh, like, yeah. this can't be a moment of, oh, wow, we felt really bad. Like here are my white tears. Like, I understand. And then y'all move on. Right. You feel me? No, absolutely. I want us to, I want this to be a moment. And I I keep saying to folks, especially us talking sports, we want to make the analogy of us all being on the same team and we need to win and be one team in sports. But here's the deal. I don't know about you, Jason, but the good teams that I was on, Mm -hmm. oh, we got heated in the locker room. We got after it in practice. Like my homegirl, she popped me in the mouth during practice. Like we was ready to go to blows. Like we were competing. And so there is a friction that helps spur growth. And so this moment of friction, we can't run from it. We got to do the dirty work if we're really going to make sincere progress. 
right? And that's something I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. I said that everybody needs to look in the mirror, myself included, hand raised in the air. And I come from, I'm born and raised here in New York City, but my family's from Puerto Rico. And it's one of those things where I know that I could do more, I could do better. We all can. And we understand that the... Caucasian people in this country, they really need to take the hard look in the mirror to accept that this is not only going on, this isn't the flavor of the month, this hasn't been going on just for a couple of weeks, this has been systemic for hundreds of years. And of course, and this goes back to the school system, which I don't want to get too off kilter here, but at the same time, yes, they gloss over everything that went down. They gloss over the, the history of this country and how it all got started. And unfortunately, it goes lost upon them to think that, wait a second, we are part of the problem. It's not them. They're just looking to, they're looking for, you know, we're all looking for equality. But at the same time, they feel like they're just a step or two or 10 steps, depending on who you speak to, above everybody else. And that's the problem, hopefully. And like you said, I don't know if this is the moment, right? Who knows? What is it, what is it going to take for something of a cataclysmic event in order for this thing to finally turn around. I think it's this because it was the perfect storm with COVID-19 with everybody being home and watching the videos and people protesting out in the street. But we all know we need more than protests. We got to vote with a zillion different things that we'd have to do to make that change. But again, to me, at the end of the day, it all stems down to the white people taking that hard look in the mirror to know that they have to change within themselves and hopefully they could spread that word to the people that they're with their family, friends, whomever. And then hopefully that could spread it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen next week, but maybe that could be the start for this chair, you know, for this change to finally take place. I agree with you. And I've said to some of my friends who have asked what they can do. I need you to be an ally and to understand that being an ally. And I heard Carrie Champion use the phrase disruptor, mm. whichever word you prefer, right. whether you're an ally or a disruptor, if you are really about this business, it's going to cost you something. That's it's right. going to cost some relationships when you call out your friend or your distant family member for that joke that is not appropriate. It's going to cost when you say to your boss or your HR department, hey, we really need to address the diversity in our office. You know what I mean? So That's it, yeah. If you're not willing to cost, I mean, if you look back in the 1960s, you look at the cities across the South. Mm-hmm. There are pictures. Yes, yeah, two black folks sitting right there, but there's a white man sitting next to them. You know what I mean? Yep. So like. If you're going to get in this thing, you got to get dirty with it. That's so I it. I hope that these conversations continue. That's right. Not when it's convenient. Not when it's right for them. Yeah, they have to go in if, if full bore if they uh, plan to go in 100%. So, all mm-hmm. right. Let's, uh, now we'll turn our attention to sports, but I have a couple of other things that I want to ask in reference to your career. Uh, what is the ultimate goal for you as far as achieving in this business? Do you want to get the particular uh, anchor job at a certain network? Do you want to be that uh, reporter a la... Lisa Salters, sideline reporter, whatever it may be, who is the one, or what is the one thing that you're looking at as far as the ultimate goal to strive for in this business? Jason, I don't know anymore. Like, <laughs> is that right? <laughs> I honestly don't know. The goal is to be in the business and to have a voice and to use this platform. The goal is to empower young women that look like me, mm. talk like me, think like me, right? Right. Um, the goal is to push back against the establishment. I think I am proud of being what I consider a five-tool player. I've worked in a small market. I can still shoot, write, and edit if I need to put together a package. Nice. Fantastic in the commentary space, still a basketball analyst, and trained to also report. And so 
I don't necessarily have a singular goal. One of the things I would like to accomplish is I would love to be a correspondent for real sports and kind of tell those longer stories. Oh, nice. But I love being able to sit across the table from my guys and have a sports conversation. I love showing up at a game and being able to tell young women, hey, the world is yours. And there's so much that you're learning from your experience as an athlete that's going to translate. I love being able to show up at a men's game. And the fellas are like, are you ready? Like, I absolutely am. Let's go. And so changing what the normal is the quote-unquote normal that's i think that's what i want to do I, I if i had to sum it up in the next five years i would hope to still have a platform um to be cemented in the industry but ultimately jason like i'm fully prepared mentally that at some point i will pivot not all of us get to be linda Cohen, and i'm okay right no of course and because of COVID 19 having to work remotely of course with uh, everything that's happened here over the last few months are you zoomed out? Uh, are you at a point where it's like, oh, geez, when can we get back in the studio? Or have you become accustomed that this new normal is what it is by being connected through Zoom to have your forums to discuss, whether it's with your coworkers, your cohorts, or even with uh, other people for that matter, just to get uh, your voice, your opinion out there to the world? Listen, I love my guys in the studio, okay? The studio lighting is fantastic. You look great. Like, you get to interact <laughs> with one another. Right. But the one most or the most redeeming quality for me on zoom jason has been props like oh, i'm right? grabbing things off of my table i'm getting up leaving the frame like i just had a blast using props at home and so that's good i'm not one to complain about things i really can't control i do think that zoom will change the way we think about things mm-hmm. wherein as so i mean that to say if three of the guys are in the studio but for some reason i'm on a game call somewhere else like we'll just zoom her in it's fine um, I think it, it'll change that aspect of how we do TV. But I do think there's something to be said for the human interaction and being able to read the room, feel the room, I should say. Um, but I think I'm thankful for Zoom. I definitely would rather have Zoom than not during this time. Oh, no, without question. All right. One last thing before we get to sports, uh, your podcast. And it's uh, something that obviously a lot of people have getting in, gotten into, obviously myself included. So how did that come about? How long have you been doing it? Again, it's called Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. So we all know that uh, has to do with basketball. So if you could share with me what uh, that, how that all entailed, how that all came about, and, uh, of course, how long you've been doing it. So my podcast turned a year old in May. Oh, happy birthday. So we, thank you. <laughs> yeah. We are, gosh, how many episodes are we in now? I want to say we're 57 episodes. And hmm. we try to do it once a week outside of some holidays and when my schedule gets super, super crazy. Right. The company that does my podcast, Pure Hoops Media, they actually came after me, which is another example for young folks about the power of your network. I had worked with Mike Wise, who hosts a show on our network called The Mike Wise Show. Or I didn't work with Mike, but Mike knew me because he was at the Washington Post when I was playing at Georgetown. Mm. And I had met him during my internship at NBC4. And he was always supportive from a distance. And um, I saw him at a Wizards game. And he's like, hey, I'm I'm doing a podcast with these guys and they're looking for a, a woman to host a show and I, I recommended you so are you interested? I was like yeah like sure oh. um, talked with my producer who's one of the founders Bruce Bernstein and Eric Newman is another founder met with them in New York um, and it was sort of a match made in heaven I mean they've been great they've given me a space to say things how I see them um, and to continue to hone the craft by getting those reps in every week and so that's how Buckets, Boards, and Blacks came to be. Oh, nice. And is that uh, encompass pro and college? Is it mostly pro, mostly college, or a little bit of both? How does that work? It's everything. I oh, okay. say that Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is my love story with the game of basketball, which was men's college basketball first, sitting on the floor with my dad, watching all ACC. Then it was the WNBA. Then it was women's college basketball. And then it was the NBA. So mm. 
I, I bring on my friends in the industry who are covering teams in other cities. I bring on athletes when I can grab them. Um, anybody that sort of is tangentially connected to the game of basketball and has something smart or interesting to say, let's do it. Oh, beautiful. Now let's segue to uh, the NBA. As we know, late July, you figured at some point these all the teams that will be involved, the 22 teams, will head down to Orlando into the bubble. And as we've heard in the last few days, whether it's uh, Kyrie Irving's comments about players wanting to go down there for the bubble, uh, obviously the stuff that's uh, taking place in the country, which we'll get to in a second, but the whole concept there for teams, you would think the Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, those would be the favorites to win a championship. Do you think personally that these teams could last in Orlando, middle of summer, hot, where they could pretty much transport from the complex to the hotel for two and a half months? I know they're professionals and they could do it, but do you think that there could be a strain overall for these teams having to go through that from a psychological level? Yes, is the short answer. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's a lot. But the beauty of being an athlete is your ability to adapt and adjust. Right. And I think that, you know... The NBA mind is not a monolithic thing. There are guys like Kyrie Irving who think very differently. Mm -hmm. There are guys who want to play and want to compete as well. And so I think you have to be able to respect all opinions and know that we probably will not come to a 100% consensus. If those guys are there, I think that they will be locked in. I mean, this is what they do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. They're certainly more than athletes, and I believe that. But if they're going to go and they're going to commit to competing, they'll make those sacrifices. And that's the thing with everything that's happening uh, in this country, and Kyrie even had stated that he would rather be on the front lines or certainly not necessarily on the front lines as far as protesting is concerned, but at the same time not being focused on basketball because of the bigger picture of what's going on. And we know Kyrie Irving, you know, he's not the 12th man on the bench. He's not a guy that's just a borderline all-star. He's a prominent player in the league. And you wonder if how many other players may follow suit with Kyrie as far as, you know what, maybe I don't want to go down there. Or let's say if you're on the Orlando Magic, which right now I believe they're the eighth seed in the East, they may look at it and say, yeah, I do want to play, but at the same time, my heart's not in it. I'd rather do something to help my community or at least show awareness to the rest of the world or rest of the country as to what's really going on. Do you think you're going to, do you feel as if there's going to be any backlash in reference toward that? I don't want to say backlash is a strong word. Do you think that there's going to be any push or pull when it comes to a player maybe wanting to go that route as opposed to wanting to go down to Orlando to play out the rest of the season and into a postseason? Of course, it's going to be push and pull no matter what you decide from the beginning of this whole thing. I've been of the camp, that says we are not dealing with yesteryear's athletes who are going to go and play their sport by any means. We are dealing with an athlete that is conscious about what's happening around them. That is conscious is what that, that is conscious about what's happening in their own heart and mind in terms of their overall wellness. And these conditions are not ideal. So I've been saying, don't be surprised if there are guys that don't want to do this. COVID is still a risk and we don't know what the long-term ramifications are going to be. I was talking with a friend today and, we have literally had in the game of basketball COVID not even on the map or on the radar people collapse and die because they have heart conditions that were not identified. Right. God forbid. Now granted the NBA guys obviously are tested. And so the likelihood of that is small, Mm -hmm. but God forbid something like that happen. And maybe someone doesn't necessarily die on site because the technology and the medical personnel are there to deal with them, but they can track COVID and we find out that they had an underlying condition that had gone undetected. You know what I mean? Yeah. So 
I don't think you can knock anybody's reason for not wanting to participate. Um, on the flip side, in terms of what Kyrie was proposing in particular, mm-hmm. I do believe that the platform will be greater if guys decide to play. However, I would not flippantly toss off his idea because he's right about the news cycle moving on and it becoming about wins, losses, points, and assists as opposed to the messaging that Black Lives Matter and we need to sit in this moment and deal with what has made our country so uncomfortable so that we can move forward and be better. Now, we actually had this conversation on the MSG 150 on Tuesday. My colleagues made a great point. The news cycle is going to move anyway, and that's real too. Mm -hmm. But if you feel like you're doing your part by not giving something for the news cycle to move on with, then I can respect that. No, absolutely. And I said that yesterday. I put out my podcast every Monday, and I said yesterday that if the player, let's say even Kyrie Irving's ilk, a player like that that wants to step down and feel as if he cannot play during this climate because of what's going on. Now, I'm chances are I'm sure he's not going to get paid because I don't know what would be in the collective bargaining agreement if somebody were to step down due to something as unforeseen as an incident like this or even COVID for that matter because, of course, there may be someone that comes out and says, oh, I don't want to play despite the fact we have doctors and we get tested every day. But if they want to step down and not play because of the fear of contracting the virus, then they have the right to do that. Just like I feel like they may have the right to do that as well, whether they want to go on the front lines, whether they want to spread awareness, et cetera, whatever it may be. But um, yeah, I totally agree with that. And uh, you would only hope that, let's see, as we get closer to the bubble, if any player does happen to step away or the controversy that will probably ensue because of that. Because as we all know, sports fans, sometimes they can be fickle. They say, no, your job is to get on the court. Your job is to play basketball. And I only, all I want to do is I want to see you win games where we know that there's a bigger picture that's involved here. 100%. And this is a moment for fans to adjust their perspective. Yes. You know, if we, especially if we start talking about football in the South and on the collegiate level, oh, yeah. fans are all about their team. They're fanatics, right? And mm-hmm. it's easy to just see your team. You see your play, favorite player as your favorite player. But when these athletes are saying they're more than an athlete, they're not saying that just to be contrary. They're saying that because that's a fact. Mm-hmm. They are in many cases across pro leagues, the NBA and NFL, they are oftentimes black men, yep. their sons, their fathers, their husbands. Um, and so to say, go play as if that is the only facet of their being, you're missing the mark. Yep. You've got to allow them room to deal. I mean, I have friends, they're not pro athletes, but they have a two year old. And my homegirl was telling me that if he gets sick, one person, one of the parents can be at the hospital and you can't leave. So there's a risk involved. I mean, their parents, they may have young kids or they may have parents or family members with pre-existing conditions. So to just flippantly toss out, you're an athlete, go play, that's your job. I don't think that is the mark in 2020. I totally agree. Because even though the average Joe like uh, myself or anybody else that's in this country, right, if they work the regular nine to five, but they have beliefs and passions, whatever it may be, or just to get out there to do whatever it is to improve their community, improve whatever it may be, you know, nobody's going to stop them from doing it if they feel like, you know what, I need to take a day off or I need to take time off, whatever to do that. So, you know what, what's going to be good for them is also should be good for the athlete as well. But of course, they don't look at it at that lens, obviously, yep. or most most people don't. So the, the reality is, whether we like it or not, our favorite athletes, favorite teams are not essential workers. That's the reality. Yeah. And when you look at 
society, last month, Congress was trying to figure out a billion-dollar deal for what they deemed as hazard pay, which indicates that essential employees are taking on a risk. So yep. we can't act like this thing, as, as tight as the bubble may be, Adam Silver, Kathy Engelbert, mm-hmm. um, Roger Goodell, as tight as they may try to be on this thing, we can't act like there is no risk. No, uh, I totally agree. Now, speaking of the NFL real quick, we know that it's not going to be for another, I believe, five, six weeks before training camps open up. But considering that is the ultimate contact sport, do you think with the NFL being totally unscathed, and I understand that the calendar, the way everything fell right after the Super Bowl or a month after the Super Bowl, that this whole thing came about with coronavirus, do you think the NFL is going to face their music when it comes to coronavirus at some point, whether it be here late in the summer or even when the proposed second wave comes sometime in October, November? Jason, how many NFL teams we got in Florida? Three. Okay, how many NFL teams we got in Texas? Two. All right, those two states in particular, (laughs) as of June 16th, their numbers have gone up. Yep. I don't care how tight your bubble is. It's going to happen. Yeah. Your boy Ezekiel Elliott makes news on the 15th saying, wondering if his HIPAA laws were violated because his positive test is news. It's going to happen. Yeah. So the question becomes, what happens when, right? You better hope that you tested a guy before they got on the field and spread it because we know how quickly this disease spreads and football is the ultimate contact sport. That's right. It's going to happen. Now, I don't know the numbers. I can only dream to see the amount of zeros that are involved with the NFL and, and <laughs> team presidents and, or team owners and so on and so forth. Right. So I do understand the financial pressure. All I'm saying is, at what point is the risk too much? Is it week six where we've had four guys on four different teams test positive? Yeah. Is it week 10 where hopefully we've kept our numbers down? Like at what point would we have to call this thing quits because it's just getting out of hand? I don't have the answer to that. No, of course. And see, and that's the one thing that basketball and even the NHL to a certain extent, that's what they're hoping for with this bubble because you're just pretty much shuttling the players from the arena or the complex to their hotels Whereas at the NFL, there's no hub. There's not going to be a situation where we could house all the players in one city and then play, you know, 16 games on a, or really 14 if you think about it on a regular Sunday because you have the Thursday and the Monday night game. But in the NFL, they could thumb their nose up at it and they're bulletproof for the most part. And whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, but at the same time, I know as much as they've been scot free throughout all this, they're certainly going to be, I don't want to say hell to pay that strong, but they're going to have that moment where, Let's say they start off the season, no fans, and they get to week five and six, hopefully with nobody contracting the virus. But if that second wave does hit, then forget it. They're going to pretty much experience the same thing that the NFL, excuse me, the NBA and the NHL and even college basketball, for that matter, not having the tournament. They're going to experience the same thing as well. Agreed. Yeah, so. All right. Uh, And one last thing before I get to some rapid fire stuff. I know you're a busy woman and uh, certainly... I appreciate all your time here, uh, Monica. Uh, As far as baseball is concerned, real quick. Do you think there's going to be a baseball season? I'm sure you're keeping a pulse on what's happening between the players and owners. Uh, just your thoughts on whether or not the, a baseball season is going to jump off here in 2020. I don't see it, Jason. And I, again, I'm not a big baseball girl in terms of the history of the game. But right. This thing is getting entirely too fraught. Mm-hmm. And there's risk involved. I mean, I, as after Monday night, we had the commissioner's roundtable, a bunch of big time baseball names tweeted out when and where and I get it but I just it's, it's, this is just getting ugly on the side of baseball it's getting late as well um, 
And I think, you know, you know how it is sometimes, Jason, you get in an argument with a loved one or maybe not a loved one, and you just kind of throw up your hands and you want to be done with it because it's getting too, eh. yeah. Now, Tim Kajurkin, uh, who is a University of Maryland guy, mm-hmm. he thinks there will be a season, so I'm going to defer to him. But personally, I just don't see it. Like, at this point, what are y'all doing? Yeah, I don't. 50 games, I mean, that's a joke. I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's like a five-game NFL season. I mean, why even bother? And I understand <laughs> it's money at the, the end game is the playoff money that they'll get from the networks for the owners of Major League Baseball. And again, whether you're on the player side or on the owner side, it doesn't matter because they can't seem to coexist here and it's just become ugly. Just scrap the season. Hopefully they'll take enough time between now and next season to get whatever it is on the table and hopefully take it from there because I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but after next year, the collective bargaining agreement expires and I can only imagine that's going to be Armageddon at that time and who knows if we're ever going to see mm-hmm. baseball again. So that's uh, mm-hmm. for another day. But anyway. Now here's, here's the part that's super dangerous for baseball. MLS is coming back. And yeah. We've already seen where viewership is down and baseball was viewed as the American pastime. I think that's changing. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, Soccer is growing globally and here in the U.S. And so baseball is really in a dangerous spot in terms of its place in the conscious and the forefront of the minds of, uh, I don't, I don't want to say this in a, in a mean way, but the, the forefront of the minds of the youth. Is that what I want to say? Oh uh, yeah. You know what I mean? like, no, of like, course you're going to be 50 something and still checking for baseball. But like, as a 30 year old dude, like if baseball disappears, you know what I mean? Like, no, of course. They're losing ground on their audience. They're losing the demographic. I, I totally agree. And then a lot of that also that plays into even going back a few years with the African-American player in baseball. What is it? I guess roughly 10%, if that, where if you go back mm-hmm. to the 70s, I understand the 70s, that was, to think, geez, 45, 50 years ago, you know, you had a lot more African-American players a part of the game. And now it's uh, it's almost as an, if an afterthought in the inner cities because, right, their attention is going to gravitate to the NFL, to the NBA. And like you said, soccer is on the rise and we all know that's a more of a global sport than pretty much any of the sports that are out there now. So, yeah, it's it's ugly for the baseball fan, and I get it. I'll, I'll be dying a wool to the end, although I'm frustrated with it. But, uh, right, it's the 30-year-old or even more so the 10-year-old with so many mm-hmm. video games and options to choose from today that, please, baseball will probably be left in the dust uh, when it's all said and done. So, uh, let's see. Some rapid fire for you before I let you go. Uh, let's do it. Yeah, all right. Uh, your favorite team growing up, who was it? Oh man, growing up. So <laughs> funny that I went to Georgetown because I love. Oh wait, first it was the Houston Comets. That was my first. Oh, okay, yes. Team that I loved. Cheryl Swoops. Yeah. But I actually loved Carmelo Anthony at Syracuse his one year. Right, two thousand three. <laughs> yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, the people at Georgetown don't want to hear about that. They're like, "What do you mean at Syracuse?" No, of course. <laughs> right, so I know. It's so <laughs> so then my uh, follow up to that, I guess you already answered it too. Would you, of course, on top of it, your favorite player growing up? Would that be Carmelo, or you just liked him for the one year? So Cynthia Cooper was my girl. Like I loved Cynthia Cooper mm-hmm. in the WNBA. Yes. Um, then I remember watching Diana Taurasi a ton, and then yeah, definitely Melo. Melo was my guy. Like I think I had like a basketball crush on him, and I had like a real life crush on him. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Uh, what is the best thing about your job? Wow, I get to do what I love, Jason. That's it. End I, of the day. I mean, I pinch pinch myself. A number of times, leaving games or after we do a ladies' night in on a ladies' night on ACC Network, like literally, like this is my job, and like I just put money in my bank account for doing this. Right. And I'm so thankful and so happy. Absolutely. Now, and I understand this may be a little strong, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If there is a worse thing, and I know that sounds bad and it's just uh, awful, no, go ahead. but if, good. but good. if, 
But if there's one thing that you're just like, oh, geez, I got to do this, but it's in reference to your job, what is it? The traveling. No, <laughs> no I, I hear you. I love traveling, but there were points during the season, Jason, you wake up, you're like, what? the alarm's going off at 4 o'clock, I have to return this rental car, is there an Uber, where am I, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> you just have to, you have to streamline it all as best you can, and nobody wants to hear about your traveling or your sleep schedule. They want to know, did you get to your game one time, and did you have a good call, or get to your show one time and have a good show? So That's it. The traveling can be a little bit taxing. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, what is your dream destination to visit? Oh, man. I really want to go to the Maldives. Oh, yes. Maldives. Nice. Um, I'm a beach girl. Like, wherever there's gorgeous water and a beach, like, that's where I want to be. You and me included. That's right. Toes in the, hand, or toes in the sand and we're drinking hand. and nothing like it. There so. you go. Yeah, absolutely. Who is the one person that you hope to interview one day? Uh, one person? Uh, all right, well, maybe, let's say maybe top two or three, because I'm sure there may be more than one that you'd uh, like. If other words, if somebody's representation called you to say, hey, somebody wants to sit down with you and do an interview, and it's like somebody that you've been wanting to interview for the longest time, who would that be? All right, so I definitely would want to interview LeBron. Okay. Uh, he's definitely high on my list. Mm-hmm. I also would want to interview... Um, and it's funny because I'm just starting to switch over mentally to like these people are people that I cover as opposed to my contemporaries. Right. But Maya Moore was my same class in college. Mm. Um, and she obviously stepped away from the game. So I used to be like, whatever, like I'm good too, but you know, but now I'm starting <laughs> to appreciate we both chose different routes. Right. Um, and I would love an opportunity to amplify her story. So LeBron and Maya Moore come to mind. And then Serena Williams. Oh, nice. Now, if you weren't doing this, what would you do for a career? Teaching, coaching. Oh, that's I don't good. know. Um, I love the time that I did substitute teaching and even the year I took off between undergrad and my graduate degree, I taught. Um, and I, I love kids. Like, I love mm. interacting with them. Not in a way of, like, I'm rushing to be somebody's mom because that's not it. Right. <laughs> I the teaching, the coaching, the engaging, the helping them grow, I enjoy that. Oh, beautiful. Now, besides your parents, I know you mentioned that at the very top. As far as a professional influence, who would that person be? Oh, man. I've got great people in my professional circle. So uh, folks that were ahead of me in doing their thing, Andrea Kramer has been a mentor. Mm. Mike Wise has been a mentor. Um, Pam Oliver at points has been a mentor of mine. But then when I think of my contemporaries, Maria Taylor, Angel Gray, Mm. Megan McPeak, um, folks that are in it on the ground right now that we can reach across and support one another. I mean, I admire and I'm so thankful for my network of folks. Oh, beautiful. And my last one is, uh, and I know you mentioned this also earlier, but I'll see if I could uh, ask it in a different way. If uh, somebody uh, who is young and trying to get into this business, if there was a bit of advice that you would tell them, uh, what would it be? Count your nose. <laughs> Count your nose. That's a, hey, that's a good one. And no, we're not talking about N-O-S-E. We're talking about K-N-O-W-S, I would, th- I would, I would no, think. No, no, no. I'm talking about N-O. Count your N-O. Oh, really? Yeah, because I oh. think you get so... You got to look at every no as one step closer to a yes, right? Right. Um, I would tell them to have a healthy relationship with the word no in terms of being able to receive it and also being able to use it. This business is a grind, Jason, and so you got to have thick skin. I'm not of saying course. that every no is supposed to roll off your back and you don't see it as an opportunity to get better, mm. but you got to understand that it's subjective and that it requires that you are true to the grind and move with diligence and integrity. So you got to have a healthy enough relationship with no where it doesn't discourage you and dissuade you, 
but maybe it, it allows you to find areas in which you can improve as you continue to move forward. And that's a great way to close it out. And my bad for misunderstanding that because I was thinking <laughs> nose as far as, you know, count your nose, like the people you know, because that's also pretty helpful. But the NOs, yes, that's even more important and certainly supersedes like that. that. No, you're right. You're, the, the K-N-O-W-S's are definitely important too. Networking is a huge part of the game. No, of course. Monica, you've been tremendous. I truly appreciate the time you had here with me to discuss your career. All the best to you. I'll certainly keep on watching you. And uh, I just started following you on Instagram too. So uh, I'll certainly uh, check you out there. And uh, obviously, best of luck. Hopefully we'll have sports sometime in the near future. And uh, at the same time, maybe somewhere down the road, we'll talk again. Sounds good, Jason. Thanks for having me. Many thanks to Monica McNutt of MSG Network, MSG 150, ACC Network, Fox Sports 1, her podcast. You definitely want to check out as well. I had a lot of fun. Hopefully we'll have another opportunity somewhere down the road to reconvene, reconnect, because she is a breath of fresh air and just a delight to talk to. And I hope you felt that through your earbuds or wherever you get to listen to this podcast. Just the same. Now, I'm only going to spend two minutes on the baseball. I'm not going to bore you with all the minutia and the details. So just to cut right to it. So July 1st, the players will report to their respective teams. The schedule, which hasn't been set as of yet, but it's looking as if July 24th is the date to start the season. We know it's going to be 60 games. We also know that it's going to be 10 playoff teams, five from each league, not the proposed seven or even as many as eight as it once was reported. And I believe that was more from the player side that they wanted to have the more playoff teams to be able to have more of a competitive balance when it comes to having the four teams in the league to be given an opportunity to make a postseason, but they'll still have a good chance considering it's 60 games. You never know. You may get lightning in a bottle if you have a pitching rich team with a bad offense or vice versa where they could punch their way to possibly a 34 and 26 record and maybe get the fifth seed or the second wildcard spot in the American or National League. But as I've said time and time again, people, And I understand that that's not until a month from now. There's plenty of time. Who knows what's going to happen between now and then. But when you look at what's gone on with this virus here, especially over the last two weeks, and the places where teams do have Major League Baseball facilities, whether it's in Arizona, Texas, Florida in particular, can't forget California. Now, of course, you could talk about New York, but with the numbers on the decline and people need to be smart, People need to recognize that just because we're into phase two or even phase three into opening a lot of these businesses, it doesn't mean that the pandemic is over. It doesn't mean that coronavirus has left and it's not going to rear its ugly head. As you've seen with the numbers, I believe yesterday was the record setting number for cases in one single day in this country. And one more time, I understand that it's still a month from now. But what makes you think that this virus is going to slow down between now and then? Slow down to the point where you don't have to worry at all about any of these players contracting the virus. And we totally understand that if it's one or two players that get it, okay, could you live with it? Right, if you're the Mets, if it's a Pete Alonso, if it's a Jacob deGrom, obviously that's going to be difficult. God forbid you get four or five guys and key guys on your team to get it all in one shot. You just never know. And that's going to be the tough thing here because you're pretty much going to have to tell the player whether they're in their home city, let's say in a homestand, and they can't even go out to eat. They pretty much can't even go out for a walk. 
It's pretty much ballpark and home, home to ballpark. You probably can't have family members over. There's so many different, I'm sure, rules and regulations that apply to this thing that how can you avoid this without coming in contact with somebody else outside of your, we'll just use the word bubble, for the course of two and a half to three months just to try to get in a baseball season and then hope that you crown a World Series champion at the end of October before the quote-unquote second wave of this coronavirus comes back. And I'm just talking baseball. I'm not talking NBA, NHL, NFL, although they've been impacted finally, as I said on Monday with the Hall of Fame game and the Hall of Fame ceremony as they've canceled that. And good for them that they made the decision now and not on you know July 31st. But with baseball, I tell you, it's, it's just like every other sport, it's a crapshoot. That's all there is to it. And I understand I've been beating this drum for the last probably two months and not trying to be that person to ruin the hopes of the baseball fan or the sports fan is just dying for sports, is just dying to watch something, that golf isn't just cutting it or NASCAR or whatever else that happens to be on TV at the present moment. But we're going to monitor this thing. We're going to wait and see. And when I be my monitor, not necessarily just a virus, but just how all this is going to shake down. Because as of right now, with the way things are operating here in this country and with the way certain people aren't abiding by certain, and not laws of course, but just the rules of trying to get rid of this thing without treatment and without a vaccination, which that's a conversation for another day, but without having a treatment to stabilize this virus, I mean, what's going to happen next? We just don't know. And that's the unknown and... I hate to sound like a broken record, people, but that's just where we're at right now. So, baseball may be back. And yes, the players will report in six days. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the pitcher's going to toe the rubber and that the umpire is going to be ready to say play ball because there's still plenty of time between now and then. And we can understand that so many things could happen during that time frame. But until I see Jacob DeGrom toe that rubber or Garrett Cole do the same, or whomever the leadoff batter is against whichever team that may be, once it's being broadcasted, that they're in the batter's box and they hold up the right or left hand to the umpire to signal time and then get themselves set in the batter's box. Until I see that, then I'll believe it. So we could all hold our collective breaths and wait and see if baseball is going to be played, but just wake me up until that first pitch comes because until then... Then I could cheer and say, all right, baseball is officially back. And that'll do it, people. I hope you enjoyed this conversation I had with Monica McNutt. If you've listened to me before, this is your very first time listening to me with a very special guest. And if you haven't subscribed, rated, and reviewed this podcast, I please implore you to do so. And you can do that on wherever you get your podcast. So if you're listening here on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's real simple, people. All you got to do is go to your phone, hit subscribe. When you do so, the second that the podcast goes online, it'll hit right to your phone, device, tablet, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And then by rating and reviewing, all that's going to do is improve the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. And in turn, will generate interest for those outside who aren't really familiar with the J Reels podcast so I could bring in the former athlete or the current athlete the sports writer, the broadcaster, studio host, blogger, you name it. 
This is the reason why I do this, is to have these guests come on, to share their experience, to share what it's like to be behind the camera, in front of the mic, and more importantly, even on the field, in front of their laptop. I want to get the perspectives of everyone. And in order to do so, what's going to help is that if you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to your podcast. So if you could do that. And also, if you want to follow me on any of my social media accounts, as well as send me a question, comment, criticism, praise. In fact, I'm looking for questions. I'm going to really push that this week because next week I want to release my Ask Me Anything podcast, which whatever it is, it could be sports related. It could be life related. What did I want to be when I was a boy, when I wanted to grow up? Did I want to get into podcasting? Obviously, when I was a boy, there was no such thing as podcasting, but you get the drift. Whatever it is on your mind, please send it to me, whether it's on Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number. The J Reels Podcast on my Facebook fan page and the old fashioned way by email, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. So, again, please send those, forward those over. I'll make sure I'll shout you out on the podcast, where you're from, name, etc. And as you know, people, or maybe you do not know if this is your first time listening, the reason why I'm here is because I want to continue to entertain and inform with my in-depth analysis and opinions on everything that's happening on the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the j Rose Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.